Welcome back to Self Love Ignited. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Sabrina Magnon. Sabrina is an ex synchronized swimmer who grew up with a very particular idea of health. It was all about body size. And when she stopped swimming, she fell into a pattern of dieting, working out, and in hindsight, what she now labels as orthorexia. Sabrina now is an incredible health coach and she helps women get off of diets, regain their health, regain their body, and really find freedom with food. Sabrina is very candid about her own journey, her own struggles, and she opens up and has some incredible tips and ideas. And she is so inspiring. So if this is something that you have struggled with too, listen in. It's a good one. My name is Katie Allen, and this is Self Love Ignited. Let's get to it. Welcome back to Self Love Ignited. Today on the podcast, I am interviewing Sabrina Magnon. I hope I pronounced your name right. I think I did. Um, Sabrina, I'm really happy to have you here with me today. Why don't you take a moment and introduce yourself to everybody? Hi, yeah, and you did pronounce my name right. So my name is Sabrina Magna. I am a health mindset and habit coach, um, and I help women who have been dieting their entire life and who feel like they just don't know how to trust themselves around food, around their own health, and they don't know where to go from there. They don't know how to live a healthy lifestyle that is balanced and flexible and allows for self-love and compassion. And so I help women find that freedom and, and improve their health in a way that is genuine and that is compassionate. That's amazing. That's amazing. And Sabrina, where are you based again? I'm in Montreal, Canada, Montreal, Canada. Okay. Beautiful. Beautiful. So this podcast is all about self-love, right? Obviously that is your jam as well. Like we are very, very much aligned mm -hmm. in our missions and what we do in the world. Um, and, you know, here, we really just like to tell the stories of women, just like you, who have come from a place of not liking, not loving parts of themselves or their bodies, and sort of telling the story of that journey from that place to self-love or self-acceptance or whatever term feels, feels true to you. And so Sabrina, I really just want to invite you to share your story with us. So, you know, if you could sort of go back in time, where does your, what are your challenges? What are your struggles with yourself and your body begin? Yeah. So it's funny because I never took that time to reflect on why I was having such a hard time with my own body image and with dieting and with my relationship with food for the longest time until I started doing this as my career. And people started asking me, why did you start doing that? How did you overcome your struggles? And it's when you actually like try to go back in time and you break it down that you are able to notice like what events led to that kind of relationship with our bodies and relationship with our food. And for me, it started when I became a synchronized swimmer. Um, it's not a super common sport, but it is very similar to dancing or gymnastics where your body is the central focus. 
you are constantly being told that you need to look a certain way, you need to be smaller, your legs need to be longer or thinner. And um, depending on the level that you're at, you know, you do get to a point where you don't make certain teams if you don't look a certain way. Um, and this was ingrained in my mind for the formative years of my life. I was a synchronized swimmer from the age of eight until 16. That's when you're going through puberty and adolescence and peer pressure. And not only are you seeing that in your sport, but you're seeing that in the magazines and on social media and it's everywhere. And that was so deeply ingrained in my mind, but I, it wasn't that big of an issue when I was actually swimming because I was, I was working out, I was training 20 hours, 25 hours a week. So, um, you know, you're just eating to fuel your body as an athlete, but it was when I came out from the sport and I had been told for eight years of my life that if you gain weight, that's something you should be afraid of. And that's something that is bad right away. I thought, well, I know that if I'm not training 20, 25 hours a week and I'm eating the way that I did, um, I'm going to gain weight. And in my mind, that was the worst thing in the world. And so I did what anyone else would do. I started Googling the best ways to lose weight fast and started doing the diets. And I really did. I thought that I was doing it in the name of health. I thought that I was trying to take care of my body, but really the entire time I was just trying to hate myself. Then I was just doing it in a way that didn't, didn't have any kind of compassion. I hated, and it it didn't matter how thin I was. I, sometimes I would gain weight and sometimes I would lose weight because that's what yo-yo dieting does. But no matter what, no matter how small my body was, because I never did that work on how to actually appreciate who I was outside of my body. I could have been a hundred pounds and still found a hundred things that I hated about my body at that time. Yeah. Yeah. And you were, how old you said you were 16 when you stopped swimming. Exactly. And 16 is a hard age. I think for everybody, it was a very hard age for me. I know that, but yeah, you had like that extra huge pressure of just coming out of swimming and really relearning everything without Mm -hmm. like, without having that guidance, right? Like you said, you were just on Google you were just like, what, what, what do, what do I do? (laughs) Yeah. And I think what was hard is that I had always considered myself an athlete and I was the health and fitness nut. All of my friends knew me as the girl who only eats salads. And like, it was really part of my identity. And so no one thought of it as being problematic because I was just the healthy friend. And that was the image that I was putting out, but no one really sees what's going on on the inside of your head, right? Like you might be eating salads in front of people, but the entire time you're like, God, I wish I could be eating that sandwich that someone else is eating. And, you know, there's so much internal drama that's going on that it was such a conflicting sense of identity and you're no longer an athlete and you don't know who you are. And when you are training 25 hours a week, you're in a bubble, 
you're not exposed to going out. Uh, I didn't really have that much of a social life because my social life was my sport. So yeah, you're, you're 16, you're 17, you're starting to go out and you're starting to drink and you're starting to have a social life. So there's just so much at play at the same time. Yeah. 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 So what did that do? Cause like, those are, those were your formative years. And then you found yourself in your late teens and you're really developing who you are, right? Like that's really the time that we sort of start becoming adults. And I know teenagers mm-hmm. are still ch- children in many, many ways, <laughs> but at that time you feel like an adult, right? You start making decisions for yourself. You're making decisions for yourself both in the immediate and in the long term, right? So mm-hmm. how did this sort of focus on health, focus, well, health, you know, in quotation marks, what you thought was health, focus on thinness, focus on food. How did that follow you into adulthood? Oh, it, it became part of who I thought I was. Mm. And it, you know, I, I struggled through different kind of disordered eating and, you know, there was ebbs and flows. So there was that time when I was 16 until I was about 18, 19, where it was, I would restrict for a really long time. I would do the diets and then I would eventually break and then I would binge and I would go off the wagon. My least favorite term now, um, I would do, you know, no desserts, January, I would, um, beating myself up if I ate after 7 PM. So that was, that was the first phase. And then the second phase was when I started becoming extremely obsessed with being healthy. And so this was about always knowing what was in my food. And, you know, I eventually stopped going to restaurants because I was afraid of how many calories were going to be in there. And it was like, I could not miss my 6am gym session. So if that meant not going out the night before and spending time with my friends, that's what I had to do because I had to be in the gym the next morning. And the thing about that is it really does become part of your identity. People start talking about you oh well she's she's so disciplined she has so much willpower she's always at the gym she's eating well and that feeds into you wanting to do those behaviors more because whoever you think you are and and being reinforced by other people your brain is like okay well I need to act consistent with this identity and so just the thought of like eating pizza in front of someone else or eating cake made me uncomfortable. And it made me, um, it made me just very, very just out of place because I would think that, oh, well, other people are going to be confused because they know me as the health nut. If I'm eating pizza, then I'm no longer the health nut. There was just so much identity that was rooted in my behaviors that that made it so much harder to break and to allow myself to have grace and balance and eat foods that were maybe not quote unquote healthy in front of other people. Mm, Yeah. And that is such a challenge that I hear all the time, excuse me, that I hear all the time. And I'm sure you do too, right? There's all of this internal stuff going on in our heads, but then there is also this expectation that other people start seeing, and then we feel the pressure to uphold. Mm -hmm. And because this like thin centric fat phobic culture that we're in, you know, that was happening inside of your head, but there was probably something quite similar happening inside of the heads of a lot of your friends and your coworkers and your family members. So, you know, and we project onto others. So 
yeah it's yeah it's, it's a very complicated situation yeah and 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 I became really sensitive to any comments like that you know if I remember there was one time I didn't eat carbs for a very long time and it was kind of a running joke in my family and there was one time where I had put one potato on my plate because I was like, I want to have my carbs, but I don't want to have too much. I had to put one potato on my plate and my brother who I think guys don't struggle as much with the relationship with food, with this pressure to be thin. So they don't really understand how much little comments can affect you. And my brother had made a comment like, Whoa, calm down. You're putting a potato on your plate and something that was meant to be a joke. I thought about for 24 hours thinking, oh my God, maybe I shouldn't have put that potato on my plate and, and comments about other people being like, oh, you're really going to eat that. It's it, like you said, it's projection about their own insecurities. And, and I work with my clients who I teach them how to stop dieting. And when they're finally out of it, the thing I hear the most is, oh my God, now I'm realizing how much every conversation with my friends and my family is about food and weight and dieting, but you don't realize it when you're in that bubble. It's just part of the norm. Yeah. 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 It's really about recreating a new normal, what you want normal to be like a, like a true, properly healthy normal. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So Sabrina, how did, how did you go then from a woman in her early twenties who was obsessed with food um, you know, didn't want to miss gym sessions, was highly sensitive about things like having a potato on your plate. And that's, yeah, you know, I mean, it, like you can talk about that now, but at the time that was a real, like, that was a big deal. Like you said, mm -hmm. that, like that one little funny comment stuck with mm -hmm. you. How did you go from there to where you are now? Because that is a, that's a big leap, right? That's a big journey that you've been on. Mm -hmm. So it got to a point um, in my last two years of university where my obsession with my health and eating clean and, you know, what I now know to be orthorexia, um, I was really, really, uh, really in a dark place. I was isolated. I had lost a lot of friends because I didn't want to go out anymore. And I remember that it, 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 came to a point where I was like, I need something to change. And I don't know how to get myself out of it. And for me, that looked like changing my environment. Maybe I just needed, I needed something to disturb me. And so I applied to go work abroad in Italy, and to be a nanny in Italy. And I thought I've always wanted to work abroad being in a different country away from my friends and my family and doing this all on my own. Um, this is going to, this is going to be that thing that I'm going to need. So I applied in a time of big, like really darkness. And then I got the job. And when I got the job, then the reality was you are going to have to go to a country where they eat bread and pasta and cheese and gelato and wine every single day. And then the reality of that was so scary. And I almost didn't go because I was so nervous about going and gaining weight. And to give you an idea of how much it was part of my identity, when people found out that I was thinking of going to Italy, my friends and family said, how are you going to do that? 
you're going to have to eat pasta and you're going to have to eat carbs. Like, are you afraid of gaining weight? Like those were actually things that were said to me. And in my head, it was like, Oh no, like I'll be fine. In my head, it was a very big fear. Um, and I knew because I was feeling such intense emotions about going that I, it was like an even bigger indication that I had to go because I had to make myself uncomfortable and I had to push myself out of like this bubble that I had created for myself. So I went, um, and it's funny. I will never forget. I traveled for like a full 24 hours. I got to my, uh, my host family and the Nana, the first thing she said to me was, oh my God, you are so small. We are going to need to feed you. That is the very <laughs> first thing that she said. And I, I kind of laughed. I kind of got scared. I was like, this is going to be such a challenge for me. And that summer is when I was totally immersed into a different culture. Mm. When, when it comes to a different food culture, um, a different weight culture, a different like lifestyle culture where no one talks about dieting. No one says like, Oh, I had a baguette for dinner. So I'm going to have to go to the gym tomorrow morning. Like that was so not talked about. People don't really go to the gyms there. They go for walks and they spend time with family. And I ended up being exposed to eating foods. I hadn't eaten in years. I was eating pizza, almost daily and pasta and bread. And that summer was the healthiest I've ever been, you know, and now I'm able to take my attention away from my weight. But at that time I saw that I was able to eat those foods and I actually lost weight. Mm -hmm. And it made me realize that. And I was also much, much happier, of course, because I wasn't obsessing over every calorie that I was putting into my body. And it made me realize like, oh, all of this that I've been doing for so many years, it was not making me healthier. Mm -hmm. It was making me really unhappy. And I lost so much in the process. And it was that moment that I realized like, oh, I've been doing it just all wrong. And it's just because of the culture and the society and all of the pressures that I was exposed to for so long. Mm. Yeah, that's, I love that you had that, like, that, like, aha, like that wake up and that it took literally removing yourself from everything that was familiar, everything that was comfortable going to the other side of the world, you know, and stepping into a completely different culture. And, you know, Mm -hmm. not everybody has the ability or the, you know, ambition to do that. I'm a traveler too. So like, I, I totally get it. But like, it really was that it was like completely removing yourself from everything to sort of open your eyes. So, so what happened? How long were you in Italy for? I was only there for a summer. So I was there for four months. Okay. So what happened when you came back? Because I can imagine you left being the girl who was not eating carbs and the girl who was like going to the gym and working out. And then you had this amazing summer abroad where you completely had these realizations, you changed everything about your habits and what you were doing and what food you were eating. What was the reaction when you came back? Like, what was that transition like? Um, It's funny because I don't, the the transition was very gradual. Um, And I didn't really start 
talking about my own journey until I started making a career out of it because then I was like, I have to start talking about it. But at first I didn't want to talk about it because it was still something that was so sensitive to me. And I I felt kind of embarrassed because all these people who thought that for so many years, I was just the healthy nut. And that was something that I was enjoying and that I was doing from a place of like what I wanted to do. I was very embarrassed to be telling people like, oh, you have no idea what was actually going on inside my head at the time. Um, And now I'm able to talk about it because I think that the more you talk about it, the less power you give to it. But at that time, um, I didn't come back and say, oh my God, like, guess what happened in Italy? Like I learned so much and like, I don't have to do this. I just held it in, but I progressively just started eating again, those things that I would have not eaten before. And surprisingly enough, no one cared. Like (laughs) no one, I, all of that backlash that I thought, and I thought, oh my God, well, what's my identity going to be if I'm not the person who doesn't eat bread? Like, it's so silly when you say it out loud, but at the time it was like a true crisis for me. Um, I didn't lose friends because I wasn't the healthy friend anymore. And it's funny because I'm still the, if you can say the healthy friend, you know, I still am extremely in shape and I care about my health. Um, but I just realized that I, it, it's not mutually exclusive of you don't eat the foods that you love and you're healthy. You can, you can eat normal foods. You can eat all of the foods and still be healthy and care about your health and that was something that I was able to finally understand. And like I said, I actually opened up a lot more opportunities, right? Like I gained more friends and I, I gained more of a social life because I wasn't so restricted and rigid anymore. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. It, I'm really curious, Sabrina, would, would you say that this journey for you Has this been a journey? Like, do you identify with the term self-love or is this like self-acceptance or body acceptance? Like what feels most true to you? I think it's, it depends where you are at in your journey. So I work with a lot of clients who they truly hate themselves and they're, they've been taught for years to, be negative and the self-talk that's going on inside their head and the dialogue um, is so detrimental that to talk to those clients and be like, let's talk about self-love. It's not fair. You cannot go from that to loving yourself. And so for those, for those kind of clients, you have to meet them where they're at. And so for me, Yes, I can, I can look at where I'm at right now and say, I definitely can implement self-love into my everyday. Like I, I do just, I do love myself and I do practice every single day, focusing on the positives about who I am. Um, but you need to be able to accept yourself first. And so I think that self-love and self-acceptance and body, body love and body neutrality, all of those terms are good terms. All of those terms are relevant and important, but depending on where you're at in your journey. 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. Because when you are sitting in that place of self-hate or self-loathing, just the mere concept of self-love is like so far out of reach. I know, I know Mm -hmm. I have some clients too. It's like, it's almost laughable. They're like, I can't, I can't even imagine, like, I can't even imagine what that would be like. So yes, definitely having sort of the neutrality and acceptance and like, it's a journey, right? Like it really is a process. And I, I feel like we are all, we're, we're all walking it. We're all just at different stages on the path, but mm-hmm. we're, sort of, we're all doing it, right? Yeah. And, and I'm not a believer of fake it till you make it. Like you can't fake self-love and hope that one day it's just going to feel right to you. And I do very much believe in the power of affirmations and mantras, but I always tell my clients affirmations are not these things that feel foreign to you that you just say every single day. Like my body is great. I love my body. And eventually it's going to come true. Affirmations and mantras at the very core the ones that you use for your life based on where you're at, they need to be true and they need to feel true. They need to feel like your reality. So sometimes that just means things like my body deserves to be fed because I do work with a lot of clients who believe that sometimes they don't deserve to eat based on what they ate yesterday or based on not working out yesterday or based on what their body looks And little things like my body deserves to be fed or I need energy. I need fuel in order to survive, in order to thrive. Those might not be these super positive affirmations, but you need to start with neutral affirmations, have them be true before you can move on to those more positive affirmations. Yes, 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 yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. Yes. Cause when you're saying things like, I love myself, I love myself. If that's not even remotely true, then you're just lying to yourself. And it's like, you're digging yourself deeper into the hole. Right. Mm-hmm. Because it's yeah. Yeah. And it can also, it can be detrimental because then you start feeling guilt because you're not able to love yourself. Yes. Like I I'm, I'm so on board with body positivity, but some people can feel guilty and they feel like there's something wrong with them because they're not able to love their bodies. Yes. And I understand that, but in order body neutrality, in order to just understand that your body is just a body and you don't need to love it now, it removes that, that guilt and yeah. it removes that sense of pressure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So how has, cause I just, I love the work that you do and I know that your work is directly related to your own journey. Like you said, you didn't really even start talking about this until Mm -hmm. this became, you know, your career path, but like, what is the work that you do now? Do you do like group programs or one-on-one coaching and sort of what are the results that you typically, I know every client is different, but what are the Mm -hmm. results that you sort of typically help your people achieve? Yeah. So I am currently working one-on-one with clients And these are clients who have dieted their entire life and they don't know another way. And they also think that there's something broken with them because the more that you diet, the more you lose trust in yourself and the more that you are taught to hate yourself and to look at all the negatives. 
And in order to finally like get on the other side and find food freedom and truly take care of your health in a way that is genuine and compassionate, we need to literally rewire what's going on inside our brains. We need to rewire constantly focusing on what we are doing wrong. And with, with my clients, when we start, I ask them to fill out this, this food and mood journal. And one of the questions that I ask them to answer every single morning is tell me one thing that you love about yourself. And those I've had clients who said on the first day, they couldn't even come up with one thing. And so it's like those small exercise that we do. I do it over the course of 12 weeks as you're doing it you don't realize the impact it has to change the way that you think, but little things like learning to actually value yourself, it changes your eating habits because then you're eating from a place of, Oh, I truly want to take care of myself instead of this self-sabotage and this all or nothing thinking or thinking I'm not worth it. It doesn't matter what I do because it's, I'm never going to change anyways. So it's about changing our identities about who we are, beliefs that we've thought and these really deep and getting to the deep rooted reasons why we eat the way that we do. We act the way that we do. It has to do with relationships and our environment. And so it's really hard to wrap up, you know, everything that we do together because I am a holistic health coach. So we look at everything. We look at your mindset, your relationships, your history, your food, your nutrition, your habits. Um, so that by the end of the three months, you don't have to fall back into another diet. I'm, I want to teach you how to live a life that makes sense for you based on your schedule, based on your preferences, so that you don't need to rely on anyone anymore. I don't want you to rely on me. I don't, I want to work myself out of a job so that you never have to invest in these weight loss gimmicks and these fads that just rob you of time and energy and, and self-love in the process. Mm, That's gorgeous. That's gorgeous. (laughs) And I love what you said there about you're trying to like work yourself out of a job. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree. I feel the exact same. It's like, I feel like that's part of a job well done as a coach is that mm-hmm. when you're helping people with these really deep transformations, eventually, maybe it is that 12 weeks, some people may need longer, right? Everybody's unique, but it's like at some point, you need a job well done is that they're good on their own, that they have all mm-hmm. the tools and they have the trust in themselves and they have the ability to live life on their terms and not get sucked exactly back yeah that's exactly cool. and I want to teach you the skills that you need in order to go out on your own and not have to depend on someone forever because that's it's not the point whenever I feel someone kind of hanging on to me too tightly I'm like no you're learning how to become your own coach so that you can coach yourself out of these situations what would Sabrina say what would she say in your head (laughs) yeah definitely so if there was somebody who you know maybe there's somebody listening who is like where you were before you went to Italy right maybe in that place of going to the gym, missing out on social interactions, watching every single bite of food, really scared of food, really scared of like 
falling off the wagon, so to, so to speak, that's a horrible mm-hmm. term, but I think everybody knows what that means. <laughs> if there's somebody listening who is in that place and they don't know where to go or what to do, is there one exercise or um, strategy or one thing that you would recommend they start with? Yeah, I would say start with what you expose yourself to daily. So if you are someone who's part of a bunch of diet groups on Facebook, if you are able to look at your Instagram and it's a bunch of accounts of what I eat in a day or recipe accounts or keto accounts or these accounts that make you feel worse about not going to the gym, um, cleanse your social media. Like I, this is stuff that you see every single day. And we think that if we follow these accounts, we're going to be more motivated and it's going to be a positive impact. But when you actually take a step back and you tune in on your energy, when you see these posts, you're probably going to notice that you feel things like guilt and shame and you're harder on yourself because, oh, I didn't go to the gym today and I should have. And so number one, what you see every single day, what you expose yourself to becomes your reality. So change your reality, expose yourself to things that tell you to be compassionate about yourself, follow accounts about intuitive eating, follow accounts about body neutrality, body love, self-love. Um, and that will become part of your reality. When you see that there is a another way. I love that because it's so it's practical, right? It's something that every single one of us has power over and we have the ability Mm -hmm. to change it today. There is absolutely Mm -hmm. nothing stopping you. Yeah, absolutely. Beautiful. So Sabrina, as we're getting ready to wrap up, is there anything else that you feel called to say? Is there any bits of wisdom or anything on your heart that we haven't discussed thus far? I would just say it's very easy to think that dieting is the only answer because every time you stop dieting, you feel even more out of control. I'm actually talking to someone right now who's saying I, every time, even if I'm not dieting, I have no kind of portion control. I can't, my sweet cravings are, you know, I, I'm out of control. And I want you to think of the first time that you started dieting and look at where you're at now. Do you feel more out of control around food or more in control? And chances are you feel more out of control, more obsessed with food, because that's what dieting does over and over again. It erodes your trust in yourself, in what you can and cannot eat with all of these external factors of counting points and counting calories and counting carbs. So whenever you think that there's something wrong with you, that you are broken because you can't diet, but you can't not diet, ask yourself, how were you when you were eight years old, seven years old, and you had not been exposed to all of that diet culture messaging, you would eat in a way that felt good. And you would stop eating when you were done. And that is the way that we were meant to eat in a way that doesn't take into account what other people are telling you and tuning back into your body. So you are not broken and 
holding on to dieting is most likely the thing that's making you feel more out of control. And so being open to the possibility that not dieting can help you find freedom. It can be scary, but just opening your heart to that, it might give you a new life that you didn't think was possible. That's beautiful. Yeah. Open, open your heart to that, give you more choices. And at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to, right? Because when you're, when you're stuck in that cycle, it kind of feels like you don't have a choice. It's like, well, I can't not do this because you've never not done that. But yeah, Mm -hmm. I love that. Just open to the possibility open to the possibility. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. Okay. Sabrina, we're going to leave it there. I have so enjoyed this conversation and I really, really appreciate you. I'm going to make sure that all of the links to your social media and how people can find you are in the show notes, because I know that there are a lot of people who need you. So thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun to talk about. And I hope that your listeners were able to find a way to start loving themselves too. All of the links mentioned during the episode are down in the show notes. Please make sure to go on over and check them out. Also, please remember to subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. And I would be forever grateful if you would go on over and leave us a review on iTunes as well. That's going to help this message reach more women. Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Here is to you loving yourself.